Spectrum's brought to you by the Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University. Before a new idea can become a way of thinking, before one detail can flip the narrative, before anything that matters can change the world, it must, above all, be known. The duty of the Scripps College of Communication is to bring forth the people who bring forth the knowledge, by word or image or data stream and in every medium and by all means, they succeed. They say, make it loud, make it clear, make it known. Learn more at ohio.edu slash Scripps College. Welcome to Spectrum. Spectrum features conversations with fascinating people. Some are famous and some aren't, but the common thread is that they all have captivating stories. Today we're talking with Dr. Nuket Sandal, Associate Professor and Chair of Political Science at Ohio University. We're discussing the possible ramifications of President Trump's recent decision to withdraw U.S. troops from northeastern Syria, thereby leaving our Kurdish allies open to possible attack from Turkey. We also talk about how the decision might spark a resurgence of ISIS. Dr. Sandal, uh, Sunday night, October 6th, President Trump made a surprise, I think is the appropriate word, announcement that he was withdrawing the troops, U.S. troops from northern Syria, uh, thereby leaving our Kurdish allies in in the north uh, exposed to a possible or perhaps likely Turkish invasion. You and I are talking on the morning of Tuesday the 8th. That invasion hasn't taken place, but it could at any moment. What does all this mean to us as Americans? Well, Tom, that's a great question. Um, So this is, as you know, the second time President Trump talked about withdrawing from um, northeast Syria and exposing our Kurdish allies in the region. This is really important because this came as a surprise to many uh, Washington circles. This came as a surprise to U.S. military who does not know what to make of it as of now. Because in December, when President Trump talked about withdrawing from Syria, as you know, because of the reactions, he changed the policy and uh, we did not withdraw. And right now, the U.S. uh, military circles and also policy circles are trying to see whether there will be a similar reversal in decision. Because it is a very... um, surprising move. As late as August, there was a talk about having a joint security framework with Turkey, working with Turkey, and creating, well, there was no talk of safe zone, because that's a different terminology, but finding solutions to these uh, problems together. 
the Kurdish allies in the region, and we are mostly talking about Syrian democratic forces, were really receptive to this. They actually started to withdraw heavy artillery from the border, and they started to dismantle their fortifications. So as late as August, we were talking about such a possibility. So when we were expecting such a security framework, all of a sudden, after one phone call, President Trump saying that we are not going to intervene and there's going to be an operation, that was, uh, that was quite, uh, that frustrated many policy circles. And the audience might remember in December, this was one of the reasons why Secretary of Defense at the time, Jim Mattis, uh, stepped down from his position because he did not want to be part of such a, um, an initiative. Similarly, Brett McGurk, um, who was the U.S. presidential envoy for fighting uh, against ISIS, uh, expressed his deep frustration at the time he stepped down in December again, like last year. And um, <clears throat> and this time he expressed his deep frustration about the impulsive decisions uh, made by the president without consultation with allies or our own policy establishment. Now, to put this in some perspective, the uh, Kurdish element in, in northeastern Syria were our allies in the fight against ISIS. Mm -hmm. uh, they, uh, by some reports, took 90 to 95% of the casualties yes. uh, for that. Uh, and in that fight, uh, they are at odds with Erdogan and the mm -hmm. Turkish mm -hmm. government, who has always saw the Kurds as a threat. Mm -hmm. uh, they see them as insurgents and uh, rebels, correct? Mm -hmm. That's correct. So there is a significant Kurdish population in Turkey, in Syria, in Iraq, and in Iran, four countries. And this Kurdish uh, community does not have a state. So each uh, nation state, each of these states um, have seen the Kurdish population a threat to their existence at some point or another. In the case of Turkey, um, Turkey has been has perceived any political ambition on the part of the Kurds as a security threat, historically. And PKK, a Kurdish um, separatist organization, is uh, regarded as a terrorist organization both by Turkey and the United States. So the concern on behalf of Turkey was that these uh, forces in Syria um, YPG, uh, the People's Protection Units, uh, that are part of SDF, um, that are, th those, those forces are PKK, they argue, and they are the same type of terrorist, and they should be dealt with accordingly. So, um, I mean, there is, one can argue to what extent YPG and PKK interact, and, um, what kind of uh, lines are open between the two. But there is the undeniable fact that U.S. could not have um, achieved what it has achieved without um, Kurdish and YPG help in the region. So much of the criticism, uh, both from his own party as, as well as from Democrats and, and uh, policymakers across the board, most of the criticism of President Trump's decision is that by withdrawing U.S. troops, 
he's sacrificing these Kurdish troops that have mm-hmm. the SDF who have helped the United States and that there possibly could be a massacre. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've seen that word used uh, a number of times. Is that hyperbole or is that a possible reality? That's, a, that's always a possibility because um, Erdogan knows that unfortunately any such very strong response that would probably entail c- civilian deaths would actually have public support in Turkey. I'm not talking about the entire Turkish population, but from his circles, there would be support uh, from nationalist um, population. And also, let's keep in mind that Erdogan has, beyond these um, issue with the Kurds, has his own concerns about popularity and um, and electoral concerns. So right now, there are millions of Syrian refugees in Turkey, and that has been a pressure, especially on the Erdogan administration, and they are trying to deal with this. As you know, uh, European countries have not been very receptive to sharing the burden. So um, Erdogan is pretty frustrated, and his intention right now going into the region, northeast Syria, creating the safe zone with whatever it takes um, and push some of these refugee population in that safe zone. So it will be win-win for him. He will be fighting against the Kurds, the Kurdish political establishments in the area, which provide the stability. And at the same time, place some of these refugees in this so-called safe zone so that he can show that he does not have the intention to keep these Syrian refugees in the country forever. So um, another interesting uh, thing that I think President Erdogan has learned in time is whatever he does, he can justify it to President Trump. This did not used to be the case with like former uh, U.S. presidents, Republican or Democrat. Um, last year, for example, no, well, it was uh, it's very recent actually. Um, Turkey bought S-400 uh, defense systems from Russia. What did the U.S. do in return? Like There was a lot of talk, but we did not see a lot of action. No. So, I mean, a, a NATO ally got away with buying defense systems from Russia. So, and there were no repercussions. Um, similarly, I mean, not, not the same type of incident, but last year, uh, a couple of days ago was the anniversary of the Khashoggi incident uh, that was committed uh, by the Saudis and CIA investigation showed that as well. Um, what happened? Uh, what did we do uh, to punish this type of behavior? Nothing. So um, these leaders uh, are learning that there are no repercussions to any type of uh, behavior that could be potentially seen as transgressive, that is not acceptable uh, by the U.S. administration. And most recently, the uh, alleged uh, Iranian uh, attacks on Saudi Mm -hmm. uh, oil fields, uh, also nothing. (laughs) Sure, but I mean, yes, I mean, with the Iranian issue, um, my concern is actually that uh, from the uh, hawkish defense establishment, there is a lot of support to go against Iran and for a military um, 
military solution. And I do hope that uh, these policymakers explore other possibilities and make something happen because that would be really uh, dangerous to stability both in the region, in the Middle East, and it would be costly for the U.S. foreign policy establishment. That's a totally different story, of course. But the point is, right now, um, if I was the um, Turkish president who had these intentions, this is a good time to do whatever you can do because somehow, like when you are dealing with President Trump, if you know how to talk to him, you know that he will not need to consult with his policy advisors. You know that you do not have the entire establishment against you. So things will be much easier. And I don't think that's, that this is a good thing. This is a healthy thing for our own defense and policy establishment. It makes things uh, very volatile, not only in this region, but with European allies and allies uh, around the world. Exactly. So that is one concern um, these policy establishments have had is like, what is NATO right now? Like, what has NATO come to? Because if, um, again, if we are so close to Russia, if we are fine with a NATO ally acquiring these uh, defense systems and um, the way our president deals with and talks to European leaders. So this is this is a moment of change. I always say in my classes, especially when it comes to foreign policy establishment, there's not much difference between Republican or Democrat administrations. But this administration, I mean, Trump administration and Trump himself with his uh, anti-NATO discourse and um, and also slightly, as you uh, said, volatile, um, impulsive responses and these close friendships with uh, autocrats. I mean, he called uh, Erdogan a, a good friend of mine in, in one instance. I recall. So um, so this is very different from any Republican or Democrat foreign policy um, uh, move um, in the past. So that's that's why we don't know what to do with that. Brett McKirk, again, like tweeted uh, yesterday that he's, he's also very tired of this impulsive reactions with no deliberation. And all of a sudden, you learn about these movements, these initiatives, these ambitious uh, dealings uh, from his Twitter. So that's why this is concerning what else is coming Um, if things of such importance can be decided in a couple of days without consultation with your own, again, defense and military establishment. Speaking of President Trump's tweets, on on Monday he made a tweet that that I found um, interesting. Um, He basically washed his hands of this region of Syria, Mm -hmm. and he uh, said these uh, battles are, are long-standing uh, battles, and they're tribal. Oh yeah. Just yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, and by saying that to the to the general public, they're thinking, okay, th- this is a civil war. We don't have to be involved. Uh, no big deal. Talk about that language, uh, calling this tribal. Well. Obviously, it's not tribal, and it is too late to talk about a quick U.S. withdrawal. We remember what happened when um, U.S. withdrew from Iraq in a premature fashion. We can talk about um, whether entering, invading Iraq was a good idea or not uh, for a long time, but that's not our topic right now. But because of this early premature withdrawal from Iraq, 
we had ISIS in our hands, among many other problems. So um, ISIS was just one manifestation, ideological manifestation, that also had territorial um, dimension. And that's why when uh, President Trump says that we have defeated ISIS, those of us who are who have been studying terrorism and who have been studying political Islam, radical extremist movements, um, are basically seeing this as a big mistake. Like this is this is um, ISIS might be uh, territorially defeated at this point, but there is significant ISIS presence um, in the Middle East. And as we know, um, uh, Syrian Democratic Forces by themselves right now holding 10,000 um, ISIS fighters um, in their um, jails. There are ISIS families in the famous Al-Hol refugee camp. By That's tens in of the, uh, yes, thousands. Yes, yeah, close yeah. to 70,000. So um, it's, not, it's not defeated ideologically. And they are waiting for this uh, vacuum or chaos, let's say, to be operationalized again. And this is like a vaccination, you know. So they have learned from their mistakes and they have seen what happened. And the next manifestation of um, this extremist ideology. Whatever can, it's called. Whatever it is called. It might not be ISIS, but it will. I, I am telling you right now, and I, I really hope I am wrong, but I am not, that whatever it is called will come very soon. If we do not proceed with caution in consultation with our allies and make sure that um, the region is stabilized uh, before we talk about an imminent withdrawal. So um, we have already invested a lot. And this is this type of uh, withdrawal discourse or characterization of the tensions as tribal and acting as if we have nothing to do with it is very dangerous in long term and it will cost us a lot. We'll be back after this message. The Scripps College of Communication is designed to bring forth the people who bring forth knowledge by word or image or data stream and in every medium and by all means it succeeds. The Scripps College of Communication is where one generation of thought leaders and storytellers opens the doors for the next. Educating and inspiring each other bridging disciplines, forging connections, pushing beyond the syllabus and beyond limits. And because all participants belong to a far-reaching community of achievers, they reach higher and further, not just ready for change, but hungry for it, demanding that ideas be heard, perspectives shared, and visions realized. This is how the Scripps College moves the world forward. This is what knowledge demands. And this is why the Scripps College of Communications exists. To make it loud. To make it clear. Make it known. Learn more at ohio.edu slash Scripps College. We... Uh talked about the the prisoners, the 10,000 ISIS prisoners, the about 70,000 uh, ISIS family members. 
the SDF and the Kurdish army leaders have talked about saying, look, we have been guarding these people. We have been in charge of their incarceration. Mm -hmm. If we have to fight the Turks, then we can't do both. And uh, thereby threatening the possibility that these people will be released. On the other hand, uh, there's been some talk of the, these prisoners being transferred to the jurisdiction of Turkey, if Turkey is predominant uh, in this battle against the Kurds. Well, uh, my reading, at least, please tell me if I'm, I'm wrong, uh, says that uh, that's sort of an unholy alliance uh, and that there's no guarantee that the Turks would keep the, these ISIS prisoners incarcerated. That's, that's correct. Um, ISIS is not a security priority for Turkey. Um, and Turkey, for a very long time, turned a um, blind eye to uh, the ISIS um, move across the border um, and their um, like weapons and their activities. So we know that um, Turkey is not exactly concerned about an, any Islamist move. Even like I remember there were some uh, Turkish representatives who, who uh, had tweets that said that while these ISIS um, uh, young guys are frustrated uh, young people. Uh, so just normalizing what ISIS was. So uh, Just going through a period of rebellion. <laughs> exactly. No, it was, right. it was, there were some policymakers yeah. who actually yeah. said things like that. So even if, I mean, we cannot probably talk about the direct support, but um, it is definitely not a priority for Turkey. And yes, if there is a significant um, like invasion, incursion into that area, it's of course we cannot expect the Kurds to um, keep these um, both like their activities in the in terms of um, the jailed ISIS fighters and also the family. So these people will be released, and I do not think that um, we can talk about like a significant control of these populations anymore. And um, Obviously, the only possibility for the Kurds right now is to explore what they can do with the um, Assad regime. So we are basically, by talking about withdrawal, and they are facing an existential threat, they will try to, even if they don't want to, this is not an optimal solution for them, but the only uh, way out is to talk to uh, the Syrian administration. And I, I, I think the Syrian uh, armed forces already started to talk to Kurds about taking over those areas. Um, but of course, um, there will be a difference between Assad-controlled areas and Kurdish-controlled areas uh, as far as U.S. Uh, policy is concerned. Well, that leads me to my next question that you could perhaps clarify for me and our audience. And that, that is, uh, on Monday, uh, Senator Lindsey Graham uh, in part of his criticism, unexpected criticism of the president, said that uh, this move by the president would in reality only help Russia, Iran, Turkey, and President Assad mm-hmm. in, 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 in Syria. 
Could you sort of break those down? How would that help Iran? How would that help uh, Russia? How would that help uh, Assad? You mentioned a bit about Assad. It gives him a a, a, a card to play, mm-hmm. so to speak, exactly. uh, in, in his relationship with the Kurds. So Assad regime, as we know, is um, supported by Iran and also Russia. And Russia has started to play a very significant, very uh, big role in the Middle East. So um, this is this is like a um, strategic game. You know, if you leave right. spaces for them to occupy, they will have those spaces and they will take advantage of this. So this is a very critical moment for the American foreign policy establishment. And I would say probably President Trump, because American foreign policy establishment did not really have a say in this particular move. But this is a moment of decision. So where do you see where do you see our, where do we see ourselves uh, in the region 15, 20 years from now? Are you ready to completely leave the region to um, open to Russian influence? And we have been talking about um, curbing Iranian influence in the region. So are we aware that withdrawing from... See, by the way, when we say withdrawing, Tom, as you know, we are not talking about like um, thousands of troops under danger. It's a strategic force there. And it is not under imminent threat. It is just for the U.S. to make sure that whatever solution comes, it is actually in the interests of uh, right. as many parties as possible. So I do not see any reason um, for the U.S. to talk about this withdrawal. And um, we should see that um, if we want to continue um, the, our role as a leader, uh, as a um, as a um, strong ally, as a credible ally in Eastern Europe, in the Middle East, we should be really careful about what the moves are. Because this is also not only uh, about um, Syria, Russia, um, Iran. world is watching. So whatever you do, you are sending signals to your future allies, to the communities that you will want to talk to, in your future uh, projects or initiatives. So something this impulsive will have um, influence in, um, in for our, uh, they, it will have implications for our alliances, it will have implications for the markets, everything. So this is basically showing that U.S. does not have a stable foreign policy um, decision-making mechanism anymore. Speaking of that, uh, let's talk just briefly about China. Uh, China would not see this particularly as a strategic matter, but they would economically, I assume, if America has damaged its relationship with allies. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking uh, specifically of Africa and China's investment in Africa. Mm -hmm. Uh, They can easily now go in and say, can't count on the United States. You can count on us. Of course, and they, they would have reason to say so. And one thing that really surprised me, and it's it's really fascinating, like after this talk about leaving the area open for a U.S., uh, sorry, a, a Turkish um, invasion, um, 
then President Trump started to talk about uh, in this famous tweet about his great and unmatched wisdom. Yeah. If uh, Turks go overboard, off limits. Yes, it, off, it, off it, limits. Whatever that That's means. correct. Yes, off limits. Um, then he will uh, obliterate and destroy the Des- economy. Destroy and, and ob- obliterate the economy of Turkey. So this that was, I've done before. Exactly, whatever this that is, meant. That was like an addition to this. Okay, so I I think he recognized that he had not said anything um, punitive, and then at that point he probably thought that I should probably say something scary. So and then he um, came up with that very personal. Um, tweet that is um, that I mean such discourse again we have never seen from any other president or any other high um, poli- policy uh, high level policymaker. So um, I don't think even like Turkey knows what is coming at this point because the signals are so mixed. Um, I'm sure uh, Erdogan at this point have figured out how to convince him and how to talk to President Trump. So he will be able to uh, do damage control to an extent. But at the same time, this like I will destroy your entire economy discourse came like as an addition, like as an add on um after, so after afterthought, after Republican uh, yes. opposition yes. Uh, was so vocal, uh, uh, I think the tweet came after Lindsey Graham and several mm-hmm. others, perhaps just before uh, Majority Leader Mitch McConnell came out with with his statement. But it obviously was in reaction, and what it means is so nebulous. Uh, and and when you look at the the Trump business investments in Turkey oh, uh, yes, yes. to to destroy the Turkish economy would in part be to destroy part of the Trump business empire. Exactly. And that's part of the problem. I mean, instead of U.S. strategic interests or ideals, uh, the foreign policy is seems to be driven, actually, by um, President Trump's business interest in multiple countries. It's very difficult to disentangle that dimension from um, what's happening right now. So, um, and you are very right. This is a very contentious decision. I, I was um, checking the news yesterday and I came across very tense discussions in Fox News mm-hmm. uh, about what's going on. So I'm not even sure like what uh, President Trump is thinking um, given that this is practically election season right now in the U.S. as well and what type of implications this will have, although we know that foreign policy usually does not have much bearing onto um, decisions about um, who to vote for. But um, I, I, I am not even sure that... Um, I mean, this 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 sounds like this was a reaction to basically a phone call on Sunday, and then all of a sudden you have other reactions from inside your own party. So he had to say something about that. So we are taking it uh, one tweet at a time, uh, and that is that's the thing that scares me as a foreign policy. Um, expert that there is no stability that I can rely on and tell you that this is the next step, given that the U.S. Um, activities in the past, we can expect this or that. With President Trump, it's very difficult to see what will come next. Well, let me ask you in that regard, and and we'll try to wrap up here, but I, 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 I do want to ask, next moves, uh, could Turkey be amassing this uh, armed forces on the border as a tactic, 
mm-hmm. without thought of invasion or, or uh, engaging the Kurds. The Kurds could be talking about releasing the ISIS prisoners and the possibility of massacre. All of those are positions mm-hmm. that right now we have very little to no action. Exactly. What could, besides military engagement, what could the Turks be wanting out of all of this? And the Kurds seem to be obvious. They just want protection and, yes. and not to be annihilated. But does the United States, have they abrogated any role in this and said, we're done? Well, of course. Uh, I mean, as of now, again, like Tuesday morning, right. we do not know much and how things will progress. Um, but I still do believe um, that um, there was a there's a compromise possible. Although, like it might it might be too late after basically President Trump gave that carte blanche to um, Erdogan. Erdogan. Um, so the August framework which I, I call August Framework, the security framework that was discussed um, a couple of months ago was a possible way out. And it was a way of U.S. exerting its leadership. Kurds found it acceptable. Turks found it acceptable. Not ideal, maybe. Uh, but at the same time, it was a possibility. So the fact that we abandoned that is concerning. Um, Turkey, even if there is a high level of... Um, um, reactions and I don't see President Trump completely reversing um, his discourse but Turkey will want to take advantage of this moment so I do not see um, a possibility frankly at this point that Turkey will go back and then wait for um, US to decide what the ideal solution is. They have an open door now. Exactly and and they will take advantage of it. The question is how many lives will that cost? Will Turkey be conservative and try to uh, have very limited operations? Or will it try to change the demographic reality in the region, which seems to be actually what they are trying to uh, do and in order to place the refugees um, in the region? And Erdogan has been saying this uh, for a long time right now. You know, if you are not helping with this load, I am going to do whatever I need to do. So he has that justification ready for him. Um, so th- this is a time I think he thinks um, that he should just go ahead and start this operation. I don't think he is worried about uh, public opinion or any um any issues related to that because public opinion will receive this well, unfortunately. Um, so I don't see any reason why Turkey, why we can expect Turkey to back down. And that's why words are important. I mean, we can we see these things as like a couple of tweets, a couple of statements, but they have the power to change many dynamics in the region. So um Again, I, I hope um, that we will see a significant reversal and um, it will be surprising. But I am personally, I'm not expecting that. I think the question is um, how big that incursion will be from the Turkish side. Um, and then we will see how our policy establishment or President Trump will react to that. Dr. Sandal, thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Tom. Talking with us. We hope that we can have you back as this uh, unfolds. Thank (laughs) Thank you. Today, our guest was Dr. Nuket Sandal, Associate Professor and Chair of the Political Science Department at Ohio University. 
We talked about the ramifications of President Trump's decision to withdraw U.S. troops from northeastern Syria. Spectrum is produced by WOUB Public Media. Adam Rich is our co-producer. I'm your host, Tom Hudson. Please subscribe to Spectrum. You can do that at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Blueberry, or at NPR One. Spectrum also is available through the NPR Podcast Directory. We always welcome your feedback, so please rate our podcast or review it through one of your podcast outlets. If you have any questions or comments about any of our podcasts, or if you have suggested topics for us to cover, please direct them to me by email. You can do that at hodson at ohio.edu. That's hodson, H-O-D-S-O-N, at ohio.edu. <laughs>